Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. So the part we already know is this. We need to stop taking carbon that's stored in the ground and putting it into the air. We need more solar power and wind power and batteries and electric vehicles. But, but, it's pretty clear at this point that all that is not going to be enough. We are not going to be able to decarbonize fast enough to avoid a really bad climate outcome. At some point, we're going to have to figure out how to do more. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem? The show where entrepreneurs and engineers talk about how they're going to change the world once they solve a few problems. My guest today is Sean Kinetic. He's the co-founder and chief scientist at a company called Charm Industrial. Charm is fighting climate change in a giant but kind of overlooked corner of the economy, agriculture. Sean's problem is this. How do you put billions of tons of carbon back into the ground? So think about giant industrial farms. Fields of corn and wheat and soybeans absorb billions of tons of carbon dioxide from the air every year when they grow. So far, so good. But then, once the crops are harvested, the leaves and the stalks decompose, and they send a lot of that carbon back up into the atmosphere. Damn. What Sean's company, Charm, is trying to do is grab that carbon before it goes back into the air. To do that, they go out into the fields after the harvest, chop the leaves and stalks up into tiny pieces, and heat those pieces up super fast to around 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. This turns the carbon in the plants into this thick, oily substance called bio-oil. Then, Sean and his colleagues stick that bio-oil back into the ground where it stays more or less forever. It's a complicated process, and right now, the company is trying to build the machinery that will make all this happen. 
To start with, Sean gave me the dream version of how it's all going to work. A giant piece of farm equipment that will roll onto the field and it will pick up portions of what are left over in the field as as agricultural waste. And it will process that into oil and offload it into a tanker. And our entire built world is designed around moving oil. And so the infrastructure already exists, the know-how already exists. Once we generate this oil, then we can move that into the network that already exists to get that oil removed from our biosphere. So that's the dream. But Sean and his colleagues have to solve a lot of problems to get there. They don't yet have a machine that can drive around the field on its own. They have a couple big stationary machines designed to sit at the edge of a field. And early this year, they shipped those machines out from their headquarters in the Bay Area for their first big test. A lot of things went wrong, but that was kind of the point. It was two semi-trailers. One was for biomass preparation. It was just about getting the bales down to the sawdust that we need to feed into the machine effectively. Okay. And then okay. the other shipping container was just the machine itself for producing the bio oil. And so they were both up on trailers. Trucks came in, picked them up. We waved them out. Okay. And uh, then we met in, them in Kansas. And so did you, in fact, get on a plane and like drive out to the farm and watch the truck pull in with your containers full of uh, machinery? We thought we would be there to watch the truck pull in, but it turns out that uh, interstate trucking is way faster than we anticipated. So uh, it got there before we did. You should have just rode along in the truck. <laughs> I know. It would have been the best way. We actually, uh, my partner and I were driving out to chase it, and uh, we ended up getting stuck by a blizzard in Utah, and uh, the truck just went through fine. So uh, it, was, it was quite the adventure to get there. And then once we got there, uh, it turns out that what we were trying to do with this was learn about the deployment. We were trying to learn about what it takes to operate this machine machine actually on the field edge, away from our machine shop, away from our uh, CAD stations. Like, what does it take to really be in an RV on the side of the field running this massive uh, thing we had built? We had to bring all of our tools with us. We had to bring all of our spares. We had just an enormous amount of infrastructure that we had put in place to be ready to run. And... I mean, fundamentally, I think we forgot about winter as a concept. And so that was that was the first mistake. We had spent too long in California. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's, a, that's a big problem. <laughs> we got there and our air compressor was like, no, 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 it's too cold for me to start. And we're oh. like, oh. So like it begins with that. And then our nitrogen plant uh, had basically a water removal system on it that froze solid. We had... Uh, there's ice building up. We got snow on the machine. We had uh, ingress of water into all different pieces that we hadn't expected after running our prototype basically in in the Bay Area, which is uh, namely doesn't have winter. So yeah. it was uh, it was these little things that were like, of course, we were thinking about this when we were designing. We knew the conditions that would be in Kansas, but when you're there in you know, negative 10 degree weather with whipping wind on a machine trying to remove a component. It is just an entirely different experience to be there. And I think that was what we were trying to show our team was it wasn't about getting the first prototype up and running perfectly. It was about doing each step of our process, verifying it end to end. And we learned so much in that. And so we were yeah, we were learning every day and the team was getting back and we were all cooking dinner for each other. And really there was a sense of like 
camaraderie and adventure, I think, among the team. And I mean, I like the camaraderie and adventure. How much of that is like the retrospective warm glow? How much at the time was, oh my God, this isn't going to work? The adventure was real in the first, I think, couple deployments. And then the the darkness set in probably in February and March. There was a tornado nearby. We had all sorts of exciting things happening in Kansas that were uh, you know, not not abnormal for Kansas. Let me ask you a simple question. Like, and I know working, not working is not entirely binary, right? It's like, how efficient is it? How long does it take? But how long did it take for it to work? We were up and running probably about a month after we got to Kansas. We got the machine up and running. It ran its first, what we call hot flow, where it was getting material through the machine. And so the that was when it was like, all right, we're here, it's working. Now we have to try to optimize each part of it. And so we were okay. basically every time we would run the machine, we'd be like, okay, well, here's something that's not working as well as we'd like it to. What can we put in place so that it will run longer for the next time or that will run huh. uh, more efficiently the next time? And so we were constantly trying to basically upgrade the machine. That's what uh, my yeah. partner Kelly and I at Charm do is we lead the sort of rapid iteration of the hardware. And so that's what we were trying to build. In a way, it's like the way people make software, right? Like you're doing the minimum viable chemical reactor that can sit on a field in Kansas and then trying to iterate, right? Like that's basically what's happening. Exactly. Kelly and I were at uh, a company called Planet where we were working on the Dove satellite. We had Will Marshall on the show. Shout out yeah. to Planet. Yeah. Shout out to Planet. And I uh, and I heard Will talking about this on the show as well, where he mentioned the sort of like 10 to 20% target failure rate of the satellite. And so uh -huh. we were constantly trying to get new features in and get uh, new functionality in and yeah. always pushing that envelope. This is interesting. So, so the satellite industry is is a model, right? It's a, it, the story you're telling is the same story that people like like uh, Will Marshall from Planet tells of, like coming into this industry that has been slow to evolve, where things are very expensive, they're manufactured to be perfect, and they're super expensive, and you're trying to to do the opposite to make things cheaper and faster and and better, right? Exactly. We say, all right before we turn it on again, what are we going to upgrade? What are we going to fix? How are we going to move towards our goals? Let's go back to Kansas for a sec. I feel like we, like I want to sort of finish that story, right? So you're there, you're iterating, you're, you're fixing, you're building. And so did you in fact do the whole process for real with this machine in Kansas? Yeah, we produced bio oil with our machine in Kansas. And it, we took in a uh, corn stover bale and processed it through to bio oil. And did we process the entire 2 million pounds of biomass that we had like staged in the background in the event that we were running at 10 tons per day at full rate? No, the machine, I think we operated at peak of about three and a half tons per day. One last detail about what actually happened there. What'd you do with all the oil you got from the corn stover? We put it back underground. Where? In wells in Kansas. Tell me about the oil that you get out of agricultural waste. Like, what is it like? Is it like the the oil that comes out of the ground? Like, what it is, is it? It is like oil in name only, unfortunately. You know, if you've ever had fake wood smoke flavoring, that uh -huh. is bio oil. It's the exact uh -huh. same stuff. Liquid it's used as smoke? a food additive. That's it. Uh -huh. We make liquid smoke under a different <laughs> brand name, obviously. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> and can, can you, so, so it smells kind of nice, maybe a little strong, but like kind of sweet, smoky sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it smells like a campfire. I mean, that's the smell of it. Can you, can you taste it? Have you tasted it? Uh, I wouldn't taste our stuff. It's, <laughs> I mean, basically, I, I actually have lost the taste for fake wood smoke flavor as well. I can you taste it in, in food, and I'm just much. like, no, yeah. I don't want this. So it is, um, I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat the, like, I don't think anyone should go out and drink this stuff. In the same way that I don't think people should go and drink and be around crude oil. It yeah. is a messy, dirty substance. And so I think that the, we, we sort of look at charm in the way that it took this, you know, gross oily industry to get us into this mess. And I think it's going to take a little bit of a gross oily industry to get us out. Isn't it sketchy injecting oil into the ground? It sounds like it could be sketchy. There are absolutely uh, risks with injecting anything underground. And I think that the ways that you mitigate that are through careful analysis. You look at the at the confining layers, and you look at formations that have previously held oil and gas. The Permian Basin held oil and gas for 300 million years. So there are confining uh, formations where the injection of oil will maintain within that formation or within specific well types that are held there. But most of the hazardous chemicals or anything else that this civilization generates is disposed of in these deep underground injection wells. It's weird. I'm thinking normally at this part of the interview, I'm like, tell me one problem you're trying to solve. But I feel like you have too many problems, right? Like, oh, I feel we have like so many problems. Oh, yeah. That's the wonderful thing about uh, startups is you have usually a considerably or considerably more problems than people. And I think that's always the space where I enjoy to operate is at a... But I feel like you're really, I mean, it's true for a lot of startups, but it's really true for you, right? Like, I feel like you, you guys are so early and it's so hard what you're trying to do and it's so physical and there's so many things that you have to optimize so much more than they are now. No, or am I underestimating you somehow? I, I think there are solutions in each of these spaces. So there's solutions for char removal. There's solutions for uh, oil condensation. There's solutions at each of the interfaces that we're trying to optimize for. And one of the things that we know from our prototype is that this isn't a... Uh, scientific problem, right? We don't have to develop anything novel to solve these uh-huh. problems. It's really an engineering problem at each of these interfaces. So I know one of the sort of sub problems you're trying to solve is how do you power your system? And and I know you have this idea that you can use the heat that you get from processing the corn stalks or whatever, the bio waste, uh, to actually power most of the work you're doing, which is a super elegant idea, but it seems it seems really hard. That is a uh, it is a hard thing to do, and we're working with uh, some brilliant people in that space who have a solution for it. And so I think one of the great things about this sort of energy renaissance that we're in right now is that we don't see charm as being the one solution to the entirety of the climate problem, right? And so we are trying to work with a couple groups to generate the power off of our machine because the number one rule of engineering is don't. If you have a group that already is working on this problem and already has a solution in the space, work with them to help shape that into the device that you need for your system. And is there in fact somebody who's like, oh, you need to get power from heating biomass? Good news. We figured out how to do that. Is that the case? 
not only is that the case, but they're in the Bay Area and they are wonderful people. <laughs> oh, great. So they were by the other night for a happy hour and we were just like <laughs> standing by the machine having a beer saying like, where should we put this port to properly interface to your machine? What is the data that you want from this to ensure that we can, you know, test this and how can we help you move faster so we can, as a whole, move this industry further along? So that's the technical side of how Charm works or at least the dream of how it's going to work. But Charm is also a business. It's a company with paying customers. After the break, what exactly does Charm sell? And who does it sell it to? You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. The automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. And now back to my conversation with Sean. So it's interesting to think about even like, what do you sell? Like, what is the thing you're selling and who are you selling it to? So we sell a permanent carbon removal, which is a effectively a carbon credit for CO2 extracted from the atmosphere. There's a few things that are interesting to me there, right? One is, you know, so there's this idea of carbon offsets and Clearly what you are doing, if you can figure out how to do it at a reasonable price, right, uh, 
is real, right? You're taking uh, stuff that would have gone into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide and putting it in the ground approximately forever for, for as long as we care about. Uh, there are other kinds of carbon offsets that seem more slippery to me, right? Like I have a tree in my backyard. If you give me a hundred bucks, I won't cut it down, right? Like, which is, I mean, a little bit of a parody, but there, there is this universe of carbon offsets that have been kind of like that, right? It's like a hostage situation. Yeah. <laughs> I would hate for something to happen to this forest in my backyard. Yeah, exactly. And it's like there are and I don't want to undercut like the the amazing work that some groups are doing for like habitat restoration and, you know, the co-benefits of having these these forestry projects. And there are like there are people doing good work in the space, but there are also an enormous amount of groups that get credits for uh, you know, the the hunting lodge, the forest on the hunting lodge is one that popped uh-huh. up recently. Uh-huh. And like, to be clear, a forest that nobody was going to cut down, right? Somebody's saying, give us money and we won't cut it down. Exactly. A forest that was not at risk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there are, in the same vein, uh, I have friends who are farmers and they get messages that say, we are interested in selling carbon credits from your farm. You may not have to change anything you're doing right now. Yeah. yeah. And that is just fascinating from a from a market standpoint and so i think that what charm really tries to set ourselves apart on is that our carbon removal is permanent it's it's permanent and it's pretty clearly stuff that carbon that would go into the atmosphere in the absence of you sticking it into your machine and turning it into oil and sticking it in the ground right and it is extremely easy to measure so we can uh-huh. measure every carbon atom within that tote of bio oil and we can measure exactly how much mass was injected into the well. We have a measurable pathway. I think I heard it was maybe your co-founder say in an interview, like what we're actually selling at some level is measurement, measurement and verification. Like is, is that kind of certainty that companies are, are paying us for? I mean, that's like, that's very interesting to me. It's a little abstract, but I find it really compelling. Absolutely. One of the reasons why Peter was interested in in starting Charm with us was this idea Peter, that- Peter, your co-founder. Yeah, yeah my uh, co-founder, Peter, he previously ran an organization called Segment. And at Segment, he was trying to find a way to purchase carbon removals. And he is a uh, character who will dig in on a problem if he starts to see something a little bit strange. And so he started going deeper and deeper into these carbon removal projects and was just like, none of these seem- additional none of these seem uh-huh. sure they have a, a gold star from this this none of them seem you know, totally legit pay to play organization yeah. yeah and so he's like where's the permanent carbon removal because the extraction of oil and burning it is a permanent carbon addition currently yeah, yeah. we are one of a handful of companies that are actually offering a permanent removal and that's sort of what separates charm in the industry so i mean it's obviously more compelling than somebody who says, I won't chop down this tree. It's also, at this point, just absurdly more expensive, right? It typically doesn't cost much to not chop down a tree. Um, it costs a lot now to do what you're doing, right? How, how much does it cost now? And what do you need to get to for it to be you know, realistic at scale? It costs charm just about $600 per ton of CO2. Uh, equivalent removed from the atmosphere. And that is the the current 
price to remove carbon permanently. I just give me some feeling for how much a ton of carbon is. How, how much carbon does one American uh, emit in a year? You know, um, it's about fifteen tons per U.S. Uh, like average person per okay, so year. Fifteen per person per year, and and your cost right now is six hundred per per ton. Per ton. So it's way too expensive for now, what you do. Like it's 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 not gonna go anywhere at that price, right? But like presumably part of your iterative thing is making it much cheaper really fast, which is a thing iteration and technology is is good at, right? It kind of invented that move. Exactly. I think that it's a fair criticism to say it's extremely expensive because it is. And that is just the cost to deliver it right now. And so the yeah. major price points in that cost are things like the the cost of bailing and moving that biomass to uh -huh. the side of the field and okay. all of the labor associated with that, the transport of biomass, the um, the fertilizer replacement, if you're removing that biomass from the field and you're not leaving back those those nutrients, the farmers still need to replace that. So it's $600 a ton now. It's too expensive. What do you want to get it to in the medium term? What you have a number in your mind? Yeah, in the medium term, we need to get it below $300 per ton, give or take, okay. which is the which gets us into the non-voluntary markets. It's the cap and trade in the U.S. Like the way the U.S. Okay. has decided to. So people, people in places like California and Europe are actually paying three hundred dollars per ton now, by under various laws. Yeah. So when you think about cutting your price in half, are there a few key steps? I think the the big thing in the near term is reducing the the amount of operators and the amount of infrastructure needed for these sites. So the big thing that we've done from the start at Charm is focus on automation. And so we're trying to say from the start, what is everything that we need instrumented on this machine to be able to control itself, to be able to monitor these processes? And in the same uh -huh. way that you take a satellite and put it into a safe mode, if something goes wrong with this machine, it enters a safe state. So, I mean, I know it's like a super prototype, but basically how many people do you need to run it now? Currently, it takes two operators. We, we really do three because we have someone whose job is just to look at data that's uh -huh. streaming off the machine and sort of keep an eye on um, sort of over the shoulder. You want to get it from three down to one? I mean, is that the basic idea? I think we want to get it down to less than one is the dream. Uh -huh. And so uh -huh. you have maybe a person monitoring five or 10 of these machines. And, and your model for that is already there in like modern farm equipment, right? There are these giant machines called combines that are highly automated and that show up at harvest time every year. Yeah. And so when you look at the, the way that these combines are currently used in the field is a farmer doesn't own one of these pieces of equipment. They're a million dollars plus. But instead, there's a group that comes through with 10 of them every harvest time and is just moving from the south to the north going through following the harvest and removing the, you know, processing the the field. And so I mean, combines, to be clear, are just machines that harvest wheat, corn, that kind of thing, right? It's just yeah, a exactly. giant the, machine the, the that harvesting does that. piece of equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are harvesting oil from the field effectively. So we're following that that harvest. And so it aligns well with the current way that the market is moving to have these sort of fleets of contract harvesting operations. And so we see ourselves either partnering with or following one of those harvest operations. Who are your customers? Our first customers were 
Stripe, Shopify, Microsoft. It's companies that are trying to catalyze this industry. There, there was this basically an advanced market commitment, right, from a group of companies led by Stripe, where they basically said, we're going to spend a billion dollars on carbon removal. Um, frontier Fund, yeah. The Frontier Fund. So we think overall, it's a, it's a huge thing for the industry because there's so many technologies in the carbon removal space that get to either a pilot plant or like a slightly larger scale, and then they need to scale up to be productive. And so people build something on a lab bench, and then they try to build the, the $200 million plant, and they can't raise funding for that. And what okay. the industry has done in the interim is that groups like Stripe and Microsoft, Shopify, the Frontier Fund have gone out and said, we will guarantee offtakes from these facilities. And so now people looking at building a $200 million plant can actually raise debt financing by saying, we have guaranteed offtakes over the next 10 years. And before these advanced market commitments existed, if you went to a bank or you went to an investor and you're like, hey, I need $200 million to build this plant. And they're like, cool, who's going to buy it? And it's like, well, a bunch of people bought some stuff last year. Yeah. And it's like, is anyone going to buy anything next year? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> and so yeah, you can't, yeah. that's not, uh, I mean, you know, to throw it back to economics, that is not uh, a standard investing structure that would make sense. I mean, I get ultimately that we need to both reduce emission and pull carbon out of the atmosphere. It does seem like in the interim, getting better at pulling carbon out of the atmosphere could reduce the sense of urgency uh, with respect to lowering emissions, right? I'm sure this is a thing you think about. Like, what do you think about it? I think that our built world is engineered around fossil fuels currently. And so there is no rapid cutover. I think that it is a it is a yes and. We're not going to overnight convert all aircraft into running on renewable fuels. We're not going to be able to upgrade all aircraft to hydrogen yeah. in the next few years. But that will happen on the horizon. And it will happen through incentives and it will happen through um, through regulatory as well as pushing these markets. And so I think that Charm is not in the business to extend the sort of life of oil and gas assets. What we are doing is extracting carbon from the atmosphere, and we're trying to do it as fast as we can and get to a scale that once we are already past a um, an oil economy that is running our, our little civilization on this blue marble, we need a way to be extracting carbon from the atmosphere quickly. And that is what we're trying to build. And so I see the sort of carbon credit markets as a tool that allows us to scale versus something that allows that industry to perpetuate. In a minute, we'll close the show with the lightning round. Sean spent two years living in Antarctica. I got a few questions for him. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. 
How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Now, back to the show. Let's do a lightning round. Let's do a all bunch right. of questions. Some of so them are going to be about Antarctica, but not all of them. <laughs> um, it, we'll, we'll put the Antarctica. Antarctica will be its own continent within the lightning round. Um in your Twitter bio, you call yourself a hardware hacker. I'm curious, are there like household objects that you've hacked? <laughs> I actually, I turned a microwave into a puzzle for a friend's wedding recently. It had a car horn in it and it looked like a microwave <laughs> from the outside, but he's someone who hates buzzers. And so it was a sort of, a, he loves puzzles. He hates buzzers. I thought it was a great little thing. What one thing I should do if I ever find myself in Augusta, Kansas? Uh, I think the barbecue in Kansas is great. I wouldn't turn anyone away from that. Um, do you have like a, a guilty carbon footprint pleasure? Yeah, I enjoy, I think I enjoy traveling. I enjoy meeting people in different places. Uh, I spent two years at the South Pole, which ran on diesel. I'm still trying to offset that one. <laughs> so, so, so let's let's do a little lightning round within the lightning round about your two years at the South Pole because it's amazing. Like, what? By the way, what were you doing there? When were you there? I went down at 18 to shovel snow, and you came back at 20, um, tired of shoveling snow. Yeah, exactly. No, no. I went down at 18. I uh, was, uh, you know, ostensibly to shovel snow, but I ended up working with the. Ice Cube uh, Neutrino Observatory on their deployments. And I was just hanging out in the comm shop 
uh, during the summer, like fixing electrical things. That's been my um, what is called uh, in the communications shop oh, in the uh-huh. in the radio shop. And uh, the person who was supposed to win her over for the communications role was deemed not physically qualified. And they kind of turned to me and they're like, hey, you have a pulse and like to fix things. You want to stay on as the senior communications technician for the South Pole? For <laughs> the like, winter. Sure. For the winter. The last plane leaves in February and the first one doesn't come back until November. Let's do a little overrated or underrated. Uh, overrated or underrated, six months of darkness. Underrated. <laughs> underrated. It's better than I think. When you walk outside, it's not just dark, but the auroras are directly overhead. So you can be walking under starlight and then all of a sudden everything turns green and purple. And you look up and there are just ribbons of light dancing across the sky. And it is unbelievably beautiful. Still one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Underrated or overrated, six months of sunlight. Overrated. (laughs) <laughs> we we call it the we call it the hell star uh, down there because you walk outside and it's just always up. The sun. And so you're walking, to be clear, the sun yeah, the is sun. the hell star. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's you go out to the bathroom in the middle of the night, right? And it's you know uh, one, two in the morning, and there's just a uh, sun blaring down on you because uh, in the summer you stay out at summer camp, which is a bunch of tents, effectively. And uh-huh. so with uh, no bathroom in the tent, so you have to walk over to the the bathroom. Uh, site and it is it's cold and it's bright and yeah i don't know i never i think it's overrated good interesting sunshine overall not overrated but six months <laughs> definitely overrated how do you feel about ice uh <laughs> i love the sound it makes when you walk on it and uh the the way that the i think you would you would have a great time down there with a mic it is the sound of the ice crystals blowing across the the polar plateau is unreal. And you're at about 10,000 feet on top of a two mile thick glacier that's moving 33 feet a year. And so it doesn't snow at the South Pole. We get less than a millimeter of precipitation a year. It's drier than the Atacama Desert. And uh, so the only snow that's coming in are these like little ice crystals that are broken down snowflakes that have been blowing for hundreds of miles across the vast openness of the seventh continent. That's cool. It's really cool. <laughs> Sean Kinetic is the co-founder and chief scientist at Charm Industrial. Today's show was edited by Robert Smith, produced by Edith Russolo, and engineered by Amanda K. Wong. I'd love to know what you think of the show. And in particular, I have one request. Send us one thing you'd like us to change about the show, one way we could make the show better. You can email us at problem at pushkin.fm, or you can find me on Twitter at Jacob Goldstein. We'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Of Small Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. If you're looking for a new podcast but don't know where to start, here's one you can add to your list. 
The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening. Jordan talks to everyone from neuroscientists to CEOs to astronauts, authors, and performers. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with historian Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his episode with Fool Me Once author Kelly Richmond Pope on how fraud became a trillion-dollar industry. Whether Jordan's conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or it could just be discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts.